BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. Victor Davis Hanson, the star and namesake of this show, is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. We've got a lot of politics to talk about today. I know Victor talked uh, some um, post-election analysis with uh, Sammy Wink on uh, a previous podcast, it Must Listen. But we still there's still much more to discuss about the fallout from from the elections and what's ahead politically. And maybe we should start off by talking about the kind of grim news that came out that it looks like the Dems, Democrats have won the Senate that the um, Laxalt, uh, Adam Laxalt has not pulled it off in Nevada. So uh, let's get to that right after these important messages. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, before we get into the, the uh, talking about the Democrats in the Senate, I do want to say I, I got a couple of emails from some folks who heard our uh, the podcast you and I did, which we recorded before the election. And like uh, most other people, who have given the plethora of polling we had seen on various aspects, not only, you know, this race and how much so and so is ahead but by news about how the Hispanic vote was breaking for Republicans, suburban women's were overwhelmingly breaking for Republicans, and none of that seems to have materialized on election day. Not even seems to, it didn't materialize. Um, so we, but we discussed the uh, uh, elections before the elections and the, the podcast was, was aired after the election. So that's uh, uh, the risk we, uh, uh, we took. Um, nevertheless, Victor, things are still happening. The uh, House is yet undecided. Um, people keep saying 
You know, the, the Democrats have to pull an inside straight here to take it over. But I don't know. My heart is sinking every day. <laughs> they never seem our guys, our side. I mean, Republicans, if I can be an hour in that or or uh, conservatives uh, seem to be like Lucy and Charlie Brown, the football when it, when it comes to uh, these close races that are uh, recounted or anyway, Victor. Democrats yes. will have control of the Senate, it looks like, even though, and regardless of what happens in Georgia with a runoff with Herschel Walker. Uh, any thoughts on that before we take on some of the other issues? Yeah, I mean, I know that I, like a lot of people, thought that they would take the Senate and they would get 20 or more seats. And the reason I did, I didn't just say that. I tried to look at four or five criteria and this is what's disturbing because there's no reference anymore and by that i mean i looked at two polls that i think were ranked third and fifth in accuracy of 25 the trafalgar poll insider advantage and on 13 states they had a seven point we know that post facto seven points in favor of the republican candidate so that looked like it was pretty good. And then I went to this new feature on Real Clear Politics. Remember, Jack, they readjusted the polls based on their prior record. Right. So if the aggregate was one or the other direction and those aggregate polls had been wrong, they had readjusted them. And you look at all of the Trafalgar, the inside um, advantage insider advantage and then you looked at those aggregated real clear politics and you had blake masters in a dead even heat but more importantly gaining every week if you looked at the prior month charts same thing with carrie lake same thing with uh laxall they were all moving and then i didn't quite believe that bulldog but they, he was he was in th within three points. He was actually in one poll. He was up by a point. Yeah. And yep. then I called, I'm not going to mention their names, but a couple of seasoned Republican politicians and said, you know, is this accurate? And they said, yes, that the biggest problem they were having is who was going to be the speaker and whether there was going to be an insurrection against McCarthy or McConnell. So I thought, wow, that's something. And then... I watch Fox and I listen to what other pundits say, not that, and that was the least uh, persuasive of all of these criteria. And they all were talking 50 seats. And so something was completely off. And finally, I looked at the, at the polls where people were asked, what are the most important issues? And it was always, it was the economy, fuel, crime, border. And sometimes abortion was in there three or four. So I thought, okay, but all of that is irrelevant now. You can see this because what is relevant is not what people say or what they don't say to a pollster or what they say to one another. What is relevant is to what degree their ballots are harvested and to what degree is election day completely irrelevant. There is no right. such thing as election night. And to what degree do Republicans and Democrats realize that fact? So what what were these pollsters doing? They were trying to poll people who had already voted. And I think they thought, well, Republicans are not answering our polls. And uh, so 
maybe we'll give them a few points because they're an underrepresented. And I, I don't think they realize that there were hundreds, millions of people who were had cast absentee votes that are not reachable. In other words, you know what I mean? They're just right. They're much. I don't know. I'm not saying it's cheating, but I'm just saying there's a whole population out there that the Democrats mail that they harvested with third party votes in some state that's legal. So unless the Republicans get their hands around it, I don't think they're ever going to win because every single major, maybe not the governorship in Nevada, but almost every single one where it's close and the voting goes beyond Election Day, it's a given that these voter dumps are going to go against the Republican candidate. And when Carrie Lake says, I'm going to win, I hope she does. And when people in Blake Masters say, this is the percentage we need of this this number of ballots, or when Laxalt's people say that, that is a rational and accurate assessment if you know what's in the ballot and you don't. You have no idea because it's not going to conform to prior standards because it's a fluid evolutionary act. And they're getting masters on Molly right. Ball. I keep mentioning her. She mentioned it and, and outlined it, what happened in 2020. But we're going to learn. I, I predict that within a year, some left wing person's going to open his mouth and we're going to get another Molly Ball type essay. How we fooled these Neanderthals. Right. And uh, we, uh, it's very ironic because we are told that we are the election denialist and the election suppressionist and the election racist and the insurrectionist meanwhile in the shadows quietly systematically uh, unobserved the left has taken the entire election apparatus of the country in the greatest revolution of our lifetime and simply eliminated election day and election night as traditional american events they don't exist anymore it's just election day is just the last day you can vote in person right and and the beginning of a whole new process of dumping mail-in ballots absentee ballots you throw in the mix ranked voting in alaska or 51 percent in georgia you have all of these variables and they're all coalescing and part of it is tech driven they ha they understand and master tech so much better than the right does but the point is that I don't think you can trust right. anything. And then you look at the traditional. This is something we don't appreciate. The traditional, what has been the last 10 years, the traditional go-to reassurance to get people interested or to know what the left's doing or to galvanize topics for the Fox News shows at night or what news, whatever it is, they're gone. The Drudge Report has gone completely left-wing. Rush Limbaugh, I, I admire Buck Sexton and their, his successors, but that voice has been silenced. It's not there. And then when you look at our former National Review or the, the defunct Weekly Standard, they're not connected into the Republican majority as they were. And, yeah. and then you add into that matrix all of these never trumpers so there's not a i mean there's blogs there's this there's that but there's not these megaphones anymore that that balance the new york times or npr and so boy all of these institutions can really they can right. take an issue like abortion that 
people are not that the right just is, is convinced is not the issue and they can they can amplify that in a way that's amazing to galvanize single 70 percent of women that voted who were unmarried without children voted on the basis of abortion for democrats 70 percent mm-hmm. yeah. and I, almost that number of underage single males and women 30 in aggregate under 30 and so but victor there you know, if we look at the, the the issue of galvanizing and i agree with you totally you know the process is now how do you reach the most people it's by torturing the process and it's by you know sending ballots to everyone in in august and and september yes. etc it's flooding the zone there but there was some there was some galvanizing done by um uh biden and company with the whole um, democracy is, is it worked threatened. it worked they had a they had a brilliant strategy what they did was they sent those ballots and everybody got when the uh, when the Roe versus Wade crested. And that's when a lot of people sent in in late September and October in some states even. They sent in those ballots mid-October. And then the issue sort of died down and the conservatives said, well, you know, they're not talking about it. Look at these polls. It's only third or fourth issue. But not when people voted, that's what I'm trying to say. And then they had it all prepped for a new, a new round of talking points in the latter part of October. And it was never, never, this is our record. This is why it worked. This is why you should vote for it. This is what we're going to do. In other words, translated, the border is wonderful. We don't need to think, change a thing and we're going to keep doing it or Gas prices are where we wanted them. It's what Stephen Chu wanted. Obama wanted them that way. It's going to discourage fossil fuels. We're going to do more of it. Or we're letting people out of jail. We're having a critical legal theory, jurisprudence. It's a lot fair. We have equity in the criminal justice system. We're going to do more. Or inflation kind of spreads the wealth. It's not that bad. It's transitory. And we're going to do more. As Biden said after the election, we're not going to change a thing. They never did that. Instead, with all that unpopularity, you think they would have tried to either change their their issues or their positions or defend them, but they just went after the opposition. So all they did was they ran on, we're not going to talk about us. These guys are worse because they're A, insurrectionist and denialist and two they want to take every woman in the united states who wants an abortion and deny her that abortion as she dies in a back alley they're murderers that's basically what they said and that's what they ran on and everybody thought well they can't defend this record no they can't defend the record so they didn't they they attacked your record or they made it up Right. And so it was very strange how the out party was suddenly the in party having to defend abortion and election denialism. And even the further irony was when you look at election denialism, that is kind of tampering with the election process or not considering it legitimate. They have revolutionized balloting in a way that we've never seen before. Right. But this your whole projection. Yeah, it was projection and it worked. And I have to plead guilty to our listeners because when Biden gave that those series of three talks, the the first was the semi-fascist. 
I think that was it. Was that the Union Philadelphia, Station? Uh, Philadelphia. Uh, no, yeah. And then but, there was but, the Phantom of the Opera speech where he called everybody on American. And then there was a third one where he attacked people's patriotism. And I thought, wow, he got John Meacham was the writer and one supposedly or purportedly. Right. Or reportedly. And I thought, you know what? This is so McCarthy-esque. It's, and then you looked at polls, polls, and they said people didn't like that. And you know what? And then I thought he capped it off with the, the most insane thing in the world. He was saying that the Pelosi, Paul Pelosi incident was influenced by MAGA extremists and this hippie, communitarian, nudist, uh, BLM pride flag wearing person all of a sudden imbibed MAGA rhetoric and got so angry that he went over to Paul Pelosi's house and he, you know, he hit him. He, he hit him with a hammer, a MAGA hammer, essentially. That's what they were saying. I thought nobody in their right mind is going to believe that. They did. It worked. And so a lot of these people, especially the younger people and young unattached women said, you know what? These right wing people are, they're going to destroy the country. They're denialist and they, they're crazy evangelical people who want to kill women. And then when you add into the matrix, the Republicans, I don't know. I mean, we'll talk about this in a second with their leadership, but they didn't they didn't reply to that so they said inflation's really high and therefore we're going to introduce balanced budget legislation or something or gas prices are too high so therefore one anwar two keystone three federal leasing right or border uh first year i don't know 50 miles of wall uh bang Brock catch catch and release we're going to introduce elect uh legislation make him veto it Make him veto it. They didn't do any of that. There wasn't yeah. a, I mean, there was a kind of an anemic week long contract with America. But in other words, they didn't, they just yelled and screamed how awful Biden was. But then people kept saying, okay, tell us exactly how we're going to get out of this mess. And they didn't. Then yeah. when you add Trump's editorialization, I don't think that was groundbreaking. Well, that- but before the election, he said two things. Why in the world would you say Ron DeSanctimonious and attack a successful conservative MAGA governor whose state is the only sane place apparently in the country as far as balloting goes? And then the second thing you would say, wink, nod, I hope I don't distract you, but there's going to be a big election. And then, you know, little Silicon Valley techie who's depressed about the red wave said, "Uh oh, that guy's going to run for president. I'm going to go out and vote. In other words, they gave little signals that were not necessary, Trump did. He didn't have to do that. Not that it's well, his fault, but every little mat thing in the well, vote where we're losing yeah. congressional seats by a thousand votes, that can matter. Well, the the way the way he injects himself, I, I'm I'm pretty sure you may have in some way had communicated this to, to Trump a few years ago. I think you've talked about it on this podcast, actually. Uh, pre post election, pre Georgia uh, special election about, uh, you know, 
stop talking about the one issue that you always talk about and focus on the, these candidates and don't focus on yourself. And I just, I, it, it was impossible two years ago, and I think it proved impossible, uh, you know, two well, weeks we're, ago. We're in a very strange thing because there's two sides blaming each other, the Trump side and the McConnell-McCarthy side, and they're both culpable. So the Trump people say, okay, let's look at the candidates you back, Fung or Myra Flores, all the ideal people of color candidates that were dynamic and young, and we were, they were just saturated the Fox airwaves. Mm -hmm. They were going to, they lost. And then let's look at how you used your money. So you're Mitch McConnell and you send millions to Lisa Murkowski. To do what? To defeat a really much more conservative candidate, Kelly Shabaka. And so you don't take that money and you're right under your nose. In Arizona, there's Blake Masters and you tell us, well, how can I support him when he might vote against him? Well, that's not the problem. He's in your party. You you, you support him. because But he's, Trump, but Trump didn't like, give money either. That's my point. So I'm yeah. getting to it. I'm getting okay, to I'm it. Sorry. All right. So then the other side says... Yeah, but Trump's sitting on a hundred million dollars and we know what he does with it. He's stingy. He didn't use it in May, February, May of 2020 when he could have hired a team of lawyers to go to these states and stop this radical revolution in the way they changed the voting laws that destroyed him. He didn't want to pay lawyers. And now what did he do? He could have put millions of dollars in four races. He could have. He's got over a hundred million dollars. Why didn't he just say this? Here's 25 million. Here's 5 million for Blake Masters. Here's 5 million for Herschel Walker. Here's 5 million for Laxall. Right. And we'll take another. I don't think Boldick would have won, but you know, he could, he's the one. Right. What did he do instead? And, and then he said he was going to uh, support Baldick, and he did, and he urged him to run. And then Baldick said, I have Trump concerns about the 2020. And then when he sort of backed off that, Trump abandoned him. And so he was an orphan candidate. And so, you know, and then if you, and then after the election, what did Trump do? He started attacking O'Day because he didn't, he didn't uh, support Trump. And he right. lost anyway. And that's a good race because it shows you <laughs> the poverty of both sides, the poverty in the sense that they said the McConnell wing said, if you can get good candidates that are moderate in swing states, i.e. like Colorado, and they distance themselves from Trump, then they're going to win. And here's this O'Day model candidate. And he's gaining. He's gaining. He's gaining. No, he lost even bad to Bennett. Right. And then if you tell if you're Trump, you can say, well, you know what? You have to be ecumenical. Just because they didn't like you doesn't mean you turn on them. And what does Trump do? He attacks him during the race, and then he gloats, and he cheers the fact that a Democratic candidate beat a member of his own party in Colorado. Right. right. What do you do? So you've got on the one side the McCarthy-McConnell uh, establishment hierarchy, and then you've got Donald Trump. And it seems to me that the people that are sort of have proven records of being sensible and winning and are really conservative are people that have won tough races are people like Ron Johnson. I don't know how a guy won, but he did. 
He was outspent. He had an African-American charismatic guy, and he was in a swing state, and he won. And Which he had, and he, the same thing four, six years ago. It yeah, was he did. Biden. He wins. Yeah. And the same yeah. thing, I, you know, Ted Cruz is all pooting, but they swarmed that guy. And they were people, there were people in the independents and Republican Party in Texas that didn't like him, and he won. Mm-hmm. And so those people, there, there are conservative. Mike Lee won, and he was swarmed. And so what I'm trying to get at is there are people in the party that I think we could look toward for leadership. Right. Something's wrong with the fossilized status quo. And, you know, I have a piece coming out. This is an American greatness. Yes, on Donald Trump. And I go through all of his accomplishments. And there are many that he did. And one of them was he destroyed the entire Clinton hierarchy. There'll never be a serious Clinton again. He he destroyed Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and the Clinton. That that doesn't exist. He reformulated, revolutionized the Republican Party into a broad-based nationalist, populist, middle-class party. He had four years of successful governance, and he absolutely destroyed the media as far as their credibility. CNN is just a shadow of itself. He exposed that, and he went through hell doing that, whether it was the Russian collusion hoax or the first impeachment over a phone call or Hunter's laptop or getting on his case about when he said it was the Wuhan lab. He was right all along, but that said, He does all of the fundamental things right, and all the things that are irrelevant or secondary or tangential, he gets, he obsesses and does them wrong. And so he's, I I finish up in this piece, and I've said it before, is that he's a tragic figure because he's done a lot, but the very mechanisms by which he does things make it impossible for the beneficiaries of his decisive action sometimes to have him around. Right. And that's, I, you know, what I quoted in, in that piece as the epigraph of that piece, something I wrote three years ago in the case for Trump, because mm-hmm. I ended that book. And I said, for a variety of reasons, both personal and civic, these tragic char- characters not only should be not altered, but they couldn't be altered, even if the tragic hero wished to change. Given his megalomania and absolutist values, views, excuse me, of the human experience. Right. Here's what I was getting at. In the classical tragic sense, Trump will end in one of two fashions. Both are not particularly good. Either spectacular but unacknowledged, unacknowledged accomplishments followed by ostracism when he is out of office and no longer useful or less likely a single term due to the eventual embarrassment of the beneficiaries, as if his utility is no longer worth the wages of his perceived crudity. Right. And I think that's, I think that's what's happening to him, that he did yeah. so many good things that people will say now, well, we, at a certain point in time, you had the skill sets that were absolutely necessary after the McCain-Romney period, and we put up with all of this crazy stuff and you uh, provoke the left. They needed to be provoked. You challenged them. You were on 360, 24-7 uh, attack. We needed that. You did a great thing. And we got things done. And now your six-shooter is now we're, we, you know, we're the right. thought busters and 
the cattle yeah. barons or, or well, you, as you've compared them to to John Stan. Wayne and in, in, in the, the, the the searcher and uh, and then um, uh, Shane yeah and so but the only thing that I said and I don't know if that's true is he John Wayne walking out of the door and the searchers all alone after he's offended everybody but got the job done or is he Shane riding up wounded into the Tetons after he's done everything but he's not he's not to be living in civilized society is he the magnificent seven it's got a can't leave it can't stick around the village right you know I don't know because there's I don't know whether that's the, the key thing did he finish the job is he still needed as a person with those skill sets or is there a person who was his tutelage was a model for a guy like DeSantis. And I think that's what we've been watching the last year because people said two things. Ron DeSantis is the ideal governor in a major state. But so was Scott Walker. He so was, was Scott Walker. Right. He was in 2016. He was the perfect governor. Right. And George Will's uh, spouse, I think, was on his campaign. We, he was embraced by the establishment because of his record. He took on the teachers union. He articulated. He was fearless. And then it, he got onto the presidential stage and not so much. And right. people are saying to about DeSantis, they have two worries. One, does he have fire in the belly like Trump? Is he fearless? I think that's been answered, don't you? I think by I agree, taking, yeah. right. taking on Disney, taking on the school boards, uh, taking on, you know, mandatory transgender, whatever. He's even taking on China in his way. Yes. Like, taking what on governor China. has done that? He and has. taking on illegal immigration, busing people. Right. He's shown that he's capable of fighting fire with fire. Now, the only right. other, uh, I think, uh, reservation people have in the base is there were eight to 10 million people that insured uh, that John McCain and Mitt Romney would not win because they stayed home because they felt they were rhinos. So is all of this corporate money, all of this Wall Street money that has been on the sideline kind of with Trump, are they going to go to DeSantis and said, you know what? He, not that he's a, they're not, they're not going to say what we just said. They're not going to say we really like the MAGA agenda. And we like the idea that you have fire in the belly, and we like the idea you don't go down cul-de-sacs like Trump does, or you make fun of the way people dress, or you don't make fun of Mitch McConnell's Chinese wife, or you don't say Glenn Youngkin has a Chinese name. You just don't do that. So that's what – or are they thinking, we're not quite the never-Trumpers. We're more the Jeb Bushes. And mm -hmm. we want back, we want in with Paul Ryan. We want to control this Republican Party. So look, you are palatable to us. So we're going to pour billions, millions into your campaign for the primary, but on the condition that you steer the party back to a Romney, Bush, McCain. And that's what I don't know the answer to that. Will, will he be able to say, listen, I'm a Republican. I'm for deregulation. I'm for low taxes. I'm for constructionist judges, like just like you guys are. But I don't want abortion on demand to the moment of birth. I don't want an open border, and we're not going to have an open border. I want fair, not free trade. I want the federal government to do what it can 
to restore law and order, even though it's a state issue, I want to do what I can. I want to immediately start work on Keystone, open Anwar, more federal leases, and I want to have a Jacksonian uh, don't tread on me deterrent foreign policy. Is he going to be able to tell him that? That's what I don't know. If he does, he'll be president, and if he doesn't, it's going to be messy, messy, messy. But I can tell you, just from the people I talk to and I read, there's a lot of never-Trumpers who are not quite Democrats yet. Right. And they're circulating in the landscape, and they think, hmm, I don't like uh, a lot of stuff about DeSantis, but, you know, he's Ivy League, he's got a military record, he's got the perfect resume, his wife is really good, family guy, he's just perfect, great record, bites, and I can now use him as a key to unlock that door and get back in to control the Republican Party. Right. Well, everybody who plays the game thinks thinks they yeah they I have know. to exploit. Well, Victor, we, we um, I think we have one other thing to talk about in this area, and then we'll talk about some uh, Republican potential leadership. And let's do that uh, right after these important messages. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. This show is is uh, housed at and plat- the platform is justthenews.com that John Solomon um, runs. Great website. Another great website is victorhanson.com. And I'd like to encourage our listeners, especially if you're a new listener and uh, you you have never heard of victorhanson.com, we'll go there. And that's Hanson with an O, S- <laughs> not an E N, Hanson. And it's not, not Victor Danny, Davis Hanson. It, it, yeah, it's, it's not. It's Victor Hanson. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's the Swedish way. Yeah, but uh, you'll 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 find links galore to things Victor's written for American Greatness and other places. But there's a lot of uh, exclusive content that you need, you can read, and should be reading, and can only read if you're a subscriber. An initial test the waters rate is five bucks. It's fifty dollars a year discounted. I really encourage you to do that. Victor's uh, uh, the writing he does uh, for his website is is spectacular. There's a piece uh, that's up now. You just published it the other day, Victor. About after I guess after we we um, taped these podcasts last weekend, you went out for a ride, drive, clear clear your mind, maybe stop thinking about the idiocy of Fowler's bumbling rambling but you uh you drove past some the homes of of some former friends and uh quite a powerful piece melancholy piece uh even i think um but it's kind of stuff that you can only uh read at the website so that's victor hansen uh dot com as for me jack fowler i write civil thoughts a free weekly email newsletter with a dozen plus recommended readings and I, I'm pretty sure you'll like it. It's again, it's free. 
We're not accumulating lists. We're not selling names. There's no strings attached. You can sign up for that at civilthoughts.com. And I write that for the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. And if I could just plug one thing, if you go to AmericanPhilanthropic.com and click on the events, you'll find an event on December 6th where Victor and Tony Woodleaf, who um, wrote a book uh, earlier this year and counterpublished, I Citizen, and Victor, of course, with The Dying Citizen, I'm going to be hosting a webinar with both of them about the fragility of citizenship on December 6th. That will be a free webinar, but you'll find the link there. And I very much appreciate that Victor and Tony will be will be doing that. So, um, Victor, I just had uh, one other thing, and maybe it's not a small thing, uh, but, but you've talked much about Trump already and DeSantis. There is a poll out um, from YouGov. Yeah, that's a yeah, they, based poll, so I know it pretty well. Okay, they have De, uh, DeSantis Trump, yeah. and it's DeSantis 42, Trump 35. I don't, I'm not sure, Victor, if that was just Republican voters or likely voters or whomever, but it's, you know, a sign out there uh, of the uh, both the increased interest in DeSantis and the declining interest of 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 Trump. Now, I have a theory. I'm going to pose this. I mean, I've wrote something. I'm actually going to read it. And uh, Victor, you can uh, you can hit me over the head or not. But um, I, I do believe one thing we've maybe discovered or you've talked about in part here and part on Sammy is uh, we, we just didn't get clarity on what was motivating voters necessarily. And that maybe this uh, January 6th, and the focus still, still from Donald Trump, persistent focus on the 2020 elections, the stolen elections, is something that may have um, uh, played a role. So of course, it had to have played a role, but maybe it played, played a consequential role. And maybe it, uh, maybe there's an exhausted uh, electorate. Uh, the, the Bible talks about to every season. And we're in a new season, and politicians, I think the great politicians realize when there's a new season, when there's one approaching, and they're not beating a drum about something that people don't care about much longer. But anyway, let me pose this, and Victor, you have at it, and then we'll we'll talk about the leadership. If if the GOP must get beyond relitigating 2020, if that issue, uh, stolen elections, which folds itself into the January 6th riot at the Capitol, which maybe indeed was an important issue to voters this last week, that did not show up on the polls like inflation and crime, if the GOP must get past this, must somehow convey to America the January 6th we care about are the ones in the future, January 6th of 2023, 2024, 2025, 26, and on, then it is a given. I'll say it's a pose that it's a given that it must the GOP electorate must get past Donald Trump. Is there a flaw in this Fowlerian logic, which I propose for the sake of discussion? Well, every candidate that obsesses on a setback self-implodes. Look at Hillary Clinton. She still can't get over the oh, fact that she to. lost the 2016 election 
mostly to her own uh, errors of trying to get, you know, sweep the board with a with a mandate and going into red states when she left the back door open of the blue wall, into the blue wall, and Trump, you know, took Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and beat her. And she's never been over that. She in, she turned into an election denier. He's illegitimate. Joe Biden, if you win the popular vote, don't uh, if you if you lose the popular vote, don't concede. Viva la resistance. I'm a member. She went crazy and she's 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 trapped in a 1916 uh, 2016 time war. The same was true of Al Gore. Uh, the 2000 election broke Al Gore. Yeah. He, he acted like he was magnanimous for about two weeks. And then he's got into it. Bush was selected, not elected. Then he called. Remember, he got into the brown shirts and then he went off the deep end with his climate thing. And then he got into his cable that he was just he's a joke. He even got, you know, he was accused of improprieties yeah. in a hotel room. Masseuse. The masseuse yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you don't want to allow that to happen when you've had a perceived injustice. So Trump had a perceived injustice because basically we went and the injustice was this, that under the cloak of COVID in about 15 states, people under the direction of Mark Elias and the Democrat DNC, teams of lawyers went in and they did one of two things. They either, if it was a, if it was a blue or purple state, they got bureaucratic edicts, executive orders to change the voting laws. And if it was a red state, they sued. And in courts, basically that it was voter suppression, that it was uh, racist. And the net result was, but the common thread was COVID. COVID. COVID means that people can't or will die if they go to the polls. Therefore, you don't have to request an absentee ballot if you're ill or something. We'll have ballots mailed to everybody because of COVID. And if your hand is shaky because of COVID, you may not be able to have your last name. And if you've got brain fog, you may not have your right address. And because you've got so many things to worry about COVID, you may need early voting, you know, just keep any day all the way to the election. And if you know what, if you want to send your ballot on the very day of the election, we can just postpone the counting for 10 or 20 days while we if we have to, to count them. And you know what? We'll have something called curing because it's COVID after all. And that means if your ballot comes in and we look at it we and we need to cure it, we might call you or we might find you out and make sure you're, we can add your name or your, get your address right so we don't reject it. And that was the rejection rate, as I said earlier, went from about a typical 3 to 5% down to 0.2 to 0.6%. And it did that as the number of non-election ballots tripled. And that is something that Donald Trump can't fight. He, and that's what lost him the election. And he, he, as I said, he didn't have a legal team that was prepared for that. It would be very hard to be prepared for that once you read that infamous Molly Ball time essay that she outlined every avenue in which they engineered this this revolution. And so he's, he's stuck it there. And he's angry because he feels that the people wanted him and he had a good record and he was done these injustices. And he did get a lot of injustices. I, I mentioned them earlier, impeachment, Mueller, Russian collusion hoax, laptop, big tech working with the FBI, on and on. But at this point, you don't live in the past. You use those experiences 
to what? To protect yourself and your party and your interests in the future. So what he should be doing right now, to the extent he even mentions 2020, he should say to these huge crowds, I'm not going to replay 2020, but all of us learned a great lesson. If we allow Election Day to be a construct just for 20 or 30 percent of the voting, we're going to lose. So we have to do either one or two things. We've got to systematically go back and challenge these laws and get it back to pre-COVID because we're not in the same situation. We've learned from COVID. And we're going to have about a 30% absentee ballot, not 70 or 65. And if we can't do that, then damn it, we're going to beat them at their own game. We're going to harvest votes like they've never seen before. He's got to do one or the other. But he can't talk about the past. And you're right about that. And to the, to the extent that he does, it looks narcissistic and self-indulgent and self-obsessed at the expense of other people. It's yeah. not just that you say, wow, this guy is obsessed, he's narcissistic. No, you say all the time and attention is devoted to himself, and it's a zero-sum game, and that attention means J.D. Vance doesn't get it, or Blake Masters doesn't get it, or Boldick doesn't matter, or Kerry Lake doesn't. That's what happens. Yeah. And so, And then he used the endorsements. He had an excellent record in the primaries, but he used those endorsements to knock off establishment candidates on the basis of whether they or the opponent agreed with his assessment of 2020. And so if you said 2020 was rigged, you got his endorsement and, or, you know, and, and you, you were, you won the primary basically because that was, that fired up the base. And right. by the way, there were no Democrats in their mastery of vote harvesting and absentee balloting, mail in balloting to work with or to worry about. So you give you a false sense of success. Trump did because, wow, this guy and this guy and this woman, I got them all nominated. Yes, but that was just a trial because there's no left wing people in those races. You were going against fellow Republicans that operate on the same Marcus of Queensbury rules of balloting. And all you right. did was give a false sense of confidence. Then you threw them in the general election against people who were much more formidable and much much more ruthless. Except so, for John Fetterman. <laughs> Other than that, he had to be pretty ruthless to win that <laughs> election or somebody did yeah. around him. But so it was always about him, 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 him. And that's why uh, yeah. when you saw DeSantis's sort of fiery adaptation of Winston Churchill, will fight on the beaches, World War II. Uh, right speech it was we 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 will we 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 he was using the first person plural not the first person singular i yeah yeah and so uh, trump you know he's nine lives so i'm a little amused this week and weekend when you have peggy noon and all these people declaring his epitaph and it's much they, better they, to they, set, they, set out yeah. the parameters here's the parameters this is mm -hmm. what he could do this is what he can't do if he does these things, not what you agree on, just disinterested. If he does these things, play down himself, forget the cul-de-sacs, work for the party, spend his pack money on things other than himself, talk up the party, talk about issues, he will recover. If he goes down and doubles down and says, anybody who is not with me is against me and I'm going to go after that SOB and 
you have a Chinese name and Mitch's wife is a funny name and mm-hmm. DeSantis's wife runs his life and DeSantis, he's going to lose. Well, I guess the next uh, test case for that will be the Georgia r- runoff. I'm assuming there is going to be a Georgia runoff. You never know. Have ever been encountered? He's yet orphan there? now, isn't he? He's orphan. So maybe, but it's, it's still it's a very important. It's a very important because you never know what Joe Manchin's going to do. Right. So on some right. key issues on the budget and reconciliation and whatever. If it's 50-50, you can pick off maybe one or two SEMA and Manchin, but if it's 51-49, it makes it almost impossible. Well, so also, what, Victor, in, in our – I think when Bush was president, uh, uh, W, um, gosh, I think Jeffords, who was a Republican yes, from Vermont, switched yeah, and, and, and gave the Senate leadership over to the Democrats. He did. So, he uh, Someone could, could die too, you know. It's, no, it, it's absolutely important. But I'm yeah. what I meant was not that I approve. I just think it's unfortunate right. because 24 hours ago, everybody was saying we're going to pour money, we're going to go down and work for Herschel. I'm not right. sure they're going to do it now, and right. they should do it. And Trump, Trump has a last occasion. This is a golden moment. He has to do everything he can for Herschel Walker. He has to give money, endorsements, rev up his base, but he can't appear on the same stage with Herschel Walker just because that puts Herschel Walker in a terrible position. And he's got all of these other DeSantis forces that are, and people in that party are angry at at Trump. And he's got to transcend that and say to himself, I know they're angry at him. But I will make them less angry because I'm going to use all the resources I have, not for myself, but for Herschel Walker and the party. And then right. if he wins, he gets he gets credit. And he, we'll see if he does that. Well, Victor, we have a little time left and we should be um, getting your views on the House Republican leadership. And let's do that. Let's hear those views right after these important messages. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Victor, Lord knows what's going to happen. The House Republican numbers are still not over the magical 218. Um, if you were looking at the toss-up seats and 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 it seems like the numbers are in the Republicans' favor, but who knows? Kevin McCarthy is the presumptive, well, he is the current leader of the House Republicans. If they take the House, he is the presumptive speaker, although maybe not. Now, you, I know you know, uh, uh, Kevin, I, I think we've talked about this before, your your district, I think, is adjacent, where you live, I believe, yes, is adjacent, adjacent to his district, yeah. and you've known him for local matters over the years. So I, I'm not asking you necessarily necessarily to prognosticate, but if you if you want to, of course, go ahead. Any thoughts that you have about uh, the news that not, not all he might not have sufficient votes to become the Speaker of the House? It depends on how these, you know, these races go. If he gets to one point or one or two seats, I mean, we we just think about it. At election day, people were saying, you know, they're only going to end up with 15 or 20. And then it was the next day, maybe 12 or 15. And then it was 10 or 12. See what I mean? 
And as I say, I think there's about, as I'm speaking here on a Sunday afternoon, this is going to be aired uh, when we know more information. But right. there's about, I think they need seven seats. And there are 13 of these 27 or 28 in which Republicans are ahead. But given how these uh, late ballots and these drops work, I don't have any confidence in any of them, except maybe Mike Garcia in California has got a huge lead. My adjacent congressman, David Valadeo, has got a lead of four points. But the point I'm getting at, if you get down to 217, 218, and you're one or two ahead, and then you need to be, and you've got some rebellious members of your party, you need Democrats to vote for you. And that's and they vote for on for different reasons. What do I mean by that? They look at the Republican people who are and they'll they will think if it's close and it's not going to be close, but I'm just being hypothetical, they would think, is this candidate A weaker for the Republican cause, more inept, then I'm going to vote for him and put him over because it's everybody votes, not by party. And so the same thing, if they think is he going to be an effective leader? then I will not vote for that guy because I don't want them to thrive. So we don't know what's going to happen, except this is very strange, Jack, because everybody is angry about the election and they have a general shared anger about the way balloting takes place and the weight and the weight. And just every single damn time they look at the returns coming in and they see these Republicans ahead by one or two points, they say to themselves, can't just once the Republican either maintain that lead or if he's right. one or two behind, come back? Why is it always that the Democratic candidate in the last, in the 11th hour, the 15th day, 11th hour, the 11th month or right. 11th day, whatever, they always come back? Why, why, why? So there's that anger. And then there's 50-50 anger. And as I said, Half the people are saying, why doesn't shut Trump shut the blank up? Just keep quiet and don't get all of these headlines for his latest outburst. No more. I'm tired of it. And then there's the other half that say, you know what? When you have a Republican Party and you have polls saying it's ahead and you know in advance what the Democrats are going to do as far as non-election day voting, because you've seen what they've done in 2018 and 2020. And you have been told that they have records amount of money and you've been told that they have new dynamic candidates. And you've been told that Mitch McConnell and McCarthy have these huge pack war chest and you lose, you lose. And they were the ones that formulated the official campaign messages and the points. And then you, then this base says, and why, why was McConnell attacking candidates in his own party? And, you know, especially when candidates, to be frank, you have to have fairly good candidates, but debates don't matter, as we've said before. If they did, a Fetterman wouldn't be there. Fetterman won not because he was a good candidate, not because of the debate, because he was, a recipient of the Democratic voting machine and money in Pennsylvania. And it, it's very hard to beat that. Even a good candidate like Toomey could barely do it. And it took him a couple of tries to do it, to get right. elected. I remember Arlen Specter beat him. And that was, so, 
Right. Yeah. But yeah. Pat, and Pat's, but both of Pat's um, Senate wins, including on in 20, 2010, he, 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 yeah, was skin of the teeth. Uh, no, it's, in, it's, in, it's in, a way, in a true wave year. Yeah. And so you got to be a perfect candidate because the forces are right. So what I'm getting at is there's a civil war of acrimony right now where the base says that the Republican establishment could have done better, but they were either small-minded or no imagination, no contract with America, zeal during the campaign, spent the money the wrong place, you name it, back, uh, got involved in the Alaska campaign, a complete dead end. Right. And there's people who are saying if Trump, all of Trump, it's not true, but most of Trump's candidates did not do well and their candidates would have done better. That's their narrative. And so I don't know how that that's where we are. Well, take the leadership out of out of it, the the fight for the leadership, speakership, maybe, maybe not. Would you say Kevin McCarthy bears some culpability for this uh, air coming out of the, the everybody balloon? who's in? OK, Ronald McDaniel. Yeah. Culpability. Mitch McConnell. Culpability. Kevin McCarthy, culpability. That's just the way it is. You yeah. know, it's like, you know, I can comparing small things to great. I can tell you that uh, we were short about $90,000 in the 80s farming and we had a Santa Rosa orchard with beautiful plums and we thinned them. We, we did that. And that was the situation that was going to pay off the loan. And two days before, we had a freak, freak in May in California, hailstorm, and it wiped the entire orchard out. It just, just, just ate up a hundred thousand dollars in seconds. Yeah. It, was, it was horrible, and it was localized. So this yeah. big black cloud over the, our area, and then you could see an orchard maybe I don't know five miles away or three miles fine. So it was even worse because the price went sky high for anybody who wasn't hailed on. And then whose fault is that? It's nature's. Well, maybe it's not nature's fault. So I had a lot of deep thinking. I said, how in the right. blank did you get yourself into that situation? You're farming 180 acres. Why did you have to depend on this six to seven acres? You know, right. You know, it's not a lot, you know, a thousand trees to get you either solvent or insolvent. You put yourself in the wrong position. You should have cut, cut, cut earlier. So, yeah, we don't when you have a climatic defeat, the people who are in charge are culpable, even if it's sometimes 90 percent beyond their control. That 10 percent makes them culpable. Right. And right. I don't know what degree that culpability means they have to lose their job. But I will say that. I think Mitch McConnell is in a separate category than Kevin McCarthy. He's older. He's going to, he's 80 years old. He's been there forever. He's had a great moment last hurrah when he stopped Merrick Garland and got the judges. We all thank him for that. Right. You know, he's a past master. But when he helped Joe Biden pass legislation, whether it was on guns or, you know, inflation, he, he, he did that. And, I feel that, you know, that he is part of the um, corporate elite. I don't think he, he's a globalist. I don't think he's in a position to be tough on China. I'm not saying it's because of his wife's family's interest, but I just, 
he's not going to represent the new wave of the Republican populist nationalist middle class party. He's not. Yeah. He's a corporate fixture and he's an ossified fixture. And he would be a very valuable senator as a senior statesman in which young senators go for advice about how to maneuver and manipulate right. and master the intricacies of senatorial legislation. He's got a wealth of knowledge. But right. when he stood up and he said, when he was asked, are you going to win the Senate? And he said, no, I don't know. You know, we got it's all about candidates. And he was basically saying there's a bunch of candidates out there that these crazy Trumpers and they if they won, they would vote against me. So you never knew with him. You you thought, you know, wow, if I put money into Blake Masters and he gets win, he vote against me. And he did. Can put, you can you have imagined Chuck Schumer saying that? No, Chuck, that's the thing about the Democrats. When I was a young person, they fought like crazy. It was during the 60s. And the hard left fought with them, but they they act, they don't fight. They stick to the to the game plan. You know what I mean? They they're all in, and their their left talks really tough. You know right. that little left squeak like a little mouse about Ukraine. And they just said, "Shut the blank up. You're on right. the you're off the page. Get back on it." And AOC put her tail between her legs, Talib and everybody, and they went right back to the party line. They have so much more discipline. Yeah. Well, it's a religion for them. Victor, um, we're about out of time. Interesting historical point. The closeness of the what will what will be the closeness of the uh, outcome of the House elections, even if Republicans are ahead by a couple of seats, maybe it's even one seat. But in the, interesting in the 1930 elections, a precursor to the bloodbath of 1932. But 1930 was kind of a bloodbath itself. I think Republicans lost about 75, 76 seats, but they ended up, they had such a huge majority. They ended up um, on election night ahead. They had they had a one seat majority in the House. And then a couple of guys died. And by the time Congress was sworn in, it was a it was a Democrat run House. I'm not, I don't have death on my mind here, but you know, Strange things happen, and uh, it, it's it's uh, it's going to be very precarious. Even with a very, if Republicans have a narrow leadership, it's going to be very very uh, precarious. So, on this, so that's your history lesson for the day, folks. Go look it up. Nineteen thirty elections, Victor. At the end of the show, we do let our listeners know how much. Can we I just appreciate say it. that. Sure. Could, go, could, go I, could I end in a, on a note of <laughs> pessimism? Very good. <laughs> Go ahead. Pessimize away. Well, when you ask, is the leadership culpable? I don't know when you're ever going to get a more opportune time than 2022 midterms. Because you think about it. Inflation was at a 40-year high. We had absolutely destroyed energy independence and were begging Saudi Arabia, Iran, Venezuela, even Russia for a time. Crime had hit. Violent crime had hit a 40-year old. There wasn't a porous border. As I keep saying, there was no border. This was overseen by a president that during that six-month period prior ranged between 38 and 42% approval. This was his first midterm. If he had been Abraham Lincoln, 
he would have lost seats. The average loss was about 20 seats in, about, in the House and one or two Senate. He was non compos mentis. He would shake hands with invisible people. He was incompetent. You put all of that together, and they ended up negatively, or if, if they're lucky, they'll be right where they started in the Senate, and they may pick up seven or eight seats in the House. That is an indictment against the leadership. However you define that leadership, whether you want to say it's Donald Trump's party, he's to blame, or that's the institutional party of Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell, or three, it's all of them to combine. But people listening out there are furious and they have to, and they want to blame somebody. They just don't want to blame somebody to get even. They want to blame somebody so they don't do the same damn thing again and again and again. Right. Because it is like 2000. 20 in a sense that they had a terrible candidate and they had a good record and they lost that presidential election. But and and the other side or the Democrats won the election when in April, in May, in June, changing the laws, etc. So they did it again. They get it again this time. And we don't learn. We don't. Right. Dumping money in at the end is, uh, you know, maybe the the, is you talk about the the horse is already out of the barn. Yes, there is culpable. Republican leadership, and maybe they need to get some younger people who are a lot more aggressive, and they take it to the end, and they know something about Silicon Valley. They know something about balloting right. laws. They know something about what the left is capable of. They're always on the offensive. Yeah. And, you know, there are people in that party that I haven't followed very closely, but I've, I'm being won over by them. One is Rand Paul. I always thought he was an isolationist, kind of crazy on certain things. But when you look at what he's done with Fauci right. and Wuhan Lab and right. money, and you know they got mad at Josh Hawley. Maybe these people, because of their zeal and their imagination and their anger, would be, and you know even Rick Scott, these people, Ted Cruz, Marco Marco Rubio's had a transformation. So I think all of those people represent a, a consensus that you can't do, you can't keep going on. And, you know, the left says, well, basically what the left is saying, <laughs> this is very brilliant what they're doing, by the way, Jack, they're saying, yeah, let's just get rid of, you get rid of Trump and we'll get rid of Biden because they feel that Biden is not right physically up to it. And they want right. to think it would be, let's just move on to both of them. <laughs> so it's going to be very interesting, but I think the Republicans are going to have to, either get a new leader in the in the Senate or maybe the House or both or at least one or a new uh, RNC something. Yeah. But, be, but, but beyond that, Victor, uh, those things are obviously vital. But I, I do think so much of what has gone wrong politically from the Republican conservative perspective has been uh, hatched in the labs of leftist philanthropy. It has absolutely. It has, and and, it's, and it's there 2000- needs to be some some reciprocal conservative philanthropy that sits down and looks at this stuff and says this is destroying America, and we they need to, 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 to engage in the same way. They have to, and and I look at the telltale was two thousand twenty. All elections in America prior to 2020 represent one paradigm, and all after 2020 represent another one. 
And Donald Trump won in 2016 because they had not had this because 70, 65 or 70 percent of the people voted on Election Day, or at least there was only 25 or 30 percent of the ballots were absentee. If everything was the same with Trump, the same climate, the same, you know, MAGA pushback, the same inept Hillary's campaign. But with today's rules, he would have lost in 2016. He lost the popular yeah. vote. He would have lost the Electoral College. Right. Because it's just different now. There was a revolution. We haven't even appreciated this revolution. When you go in a radical period of two years, you go from 60 to 70% voting on Election Day to 30, 40% voting. It's just different. And one party engineered that. And the yeah. other party didn't understand it. So and, you and, you yeah. distill it down to the Republicans. Hey, get get your pickup and get your neighbor and everybody's going to get out to vote. Get out the vote today. This is the big deal. And the other people are just quiet and saying, <laughs> the vote was gotten out weeks ago, my it, friend. You know, yeah. that's, that's how it is. And just as you know, an American that... And, I, you know, I've told you in the past, I was a candidate, local, city, Board of Aldermen here, etc. And I'm all into the pomp and circumstance, if you will, of Election Day. It's it's something, it's American. We're going out there to, to vote. It's something to be proud about. And to have, to, to destroy people, Election Day you know, has, has harmed it's, America. It really it's the has. Same, it's, it's, a, it's part of the same leftist assault on institutions. It's Election Day in the left-wing mind is the same thing as the Electoral College, the nine-person Supreme Court, 50 states, the filibuster, 4th of July, 1776. These are iconic institutions in America that have not always helped them, you know, in their political trajectory and odyssey. And, and their way of thinking, they have to be changed or destroyed because they don't help them, or at least they don't in, ensure the proper result. Change the foundational date. Get rid of the filibuster if you can. Get rid of the electoral. Do anything that uh, impedes or eventual takeover of the country. And that's what they think. And so they have destroyed election day and the old idea that you come home from work, you're, you and your wife, you and your husband, your kids, you sit in front of the TV and then you have these electronic modern uh, vote returns and you see the things all up the screen and that they, they just move all the time as the vote comes in. And then you got a guy like Dan Rather, I don't like him, but you have a guy like that or John Chancellor or Walter Cronkite. And they say this and they bring in some experts and they say, you know, this this county and this that's gone. It's gone. Now it's taking pictures of some apparatchik who says, I don't know. I don't know when the vote's going to come in. And this is this and this drop. And then you get some nerd mathematician and says, well, you know. There's this drop from this county and that drop from this county. And there's this law here. And, oh, by the way, they ran on a paper here. And, oh, by the I mean, think about it. 60 years ago, people could conduct a better election today than today. Right. So what, what was all the 60 years for? What was all the technology? What was all Silicon Valley for? Yeah. To screw up the elections? I could be wrong, but I think even like Lincoln or Grover Cleveland knew on election night that they won. 
about, you know, of 150 years ago. It's crazy. crazy. They had absentee ballots in the Union Army. And Amazing. that was quicker than what we see. So, yeah. yeah. And it, all these institutions are disappearing before our eyes. And what is scary is when we want to know why the border is wide open or why people are killing other people in the street and serving very little time or beating people up or carjacking or right back out or thousands of people are being killed in the streets of Chicago and Baltimore, Newark and New Orleans and no one's doing anything about it. It's because these institutions are not allowing people to do anything about it because they've been changed. It's just bewildering to, yeah. for most people. They think, wow, why don't we election day is a national. It's a national iconic day. It right. should be a holiday. Everybody gets off work. It's a holiday. You all go and vote. And that that's not happening. And then you right. all come home from work and you all look at the elections and you move on. And every single second that a ballot verdict is not rendered in a particular race, you it's a force multiplier of fraud or deceit right. or tampering or cheating every moment that you extend it. Because what happens is, as other races close, the forces of political partisanship focus and they say that race suddenly is not just a Senate race in Arizona. That's the future of the country. Right. And they pressure. They call people. Do you know anybody there? Do you know a, a register there? What's the dope? When are these? It's just too much pressure for the system and it explodes. And yeah. I just think I don't know what to think. I think the Republican Party is just well, it's the. It's, You've written about it, Victor. It's yeah, I mean, I've used that citizen, term. You know, uh, I, uh, the dying citizen, I call it the Marcus of Queensbury Party. It just, it's, and then when I hear all of the sanctimoniousness, you know, about this and this. So I, I'm torn, and I think a lot of our listeners are torn. On the one hand, they voted for Donald Trump because of what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? They thought he was gas and they were going to light it and then... Something was going to blow up and it would be good in the end. And then now they're thinking, you know what? It's arson because Trump is totally out of control. And then some people say, well, he's out of control because they destroyed the man with collusion and two impeachments and all this. And then other people say, well, you know what? He's president. He's supposed to withstand that. So they're in a period of confusion. And it's not good for the country because... Nobody, but we're starting to lose faith in our institutions. Exactly. And, right. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting with people when I was on this seven to eight day trip and we were talking and everybody was just so cynical. They said, well, Blake Masters behind, he's going to lose or Loxell. Yeah. Well, that's just what they do. They just, it's just close. You wait, he'll lose. And then you say to them, well, here's the break. I don't care what the breakdown is. He's going to lose. And they were all right, you know. Somebody called me and said, I've talked yeah. to a, a statistician with the Oz campaign, and this is the number of ballots left, and this is the percentage that he needs, and these are the percentage of registration, and we think he's going to win by 30,000 votes. And I mentioned that to a couple of people. I said, just talk to a guy that he's going to lose, Victor. He's going to lose. You don't understand. If he's not going to win on election day, they have a mechanism that those ballots will be dumped and he will lose. Whether it's all up and up, I don't care. He will lose. And they were always right. Yeah. So it's very discouraging. 
And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not alleging fraud. I'm just alleging a radical change in the process that was tailor designed to the left. Right. They, they designed it. Yeah. They sued. They changed the rules. They used COVID as the pretense. And then they employed all of the levers of Wall Street, corporate money, Silicon Valley tech, and they mastered vote harvesting, third party harvesting, early balloting, vote curing, etc. Victor, it's all about the consent of the governed. That's the epicenter of what this nation is, and it's and it's being effed with, and it has been effed with, and that's uh, uh, that's terrible. All right, we're we we are just about out of time, my friend. Um, I thank all our listeners for listening, and um, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen. Thanks. Those who listen on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, thank you. Also, and particular to those who leave uh, ratings, the majority of ratings for the show are five stars and close to 4.99 rating. So uh, folks like are liking what they're hearing from Victor. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to leave the rating. Some people uh, leave comments and we read them. We appreciate that also. Here's one. From HD 2012 Electra, who writes, Dr. Davis Hansen's rants are the best. Uh, there was no hyphen in the Davis Hansen there. but Thank you. Uh, I'll just say thank you, Dr. Hansen, for podcasting. I thoroughly enjoy learning from you. I'm gobsmacked at your historical knowledge and recall, and I enjoy pushing my own boundaries by taking in a different perspective. Mostly, though, I like the rants. To me, they are Dennis Miller level of deeply thoughtful sarcasm and often very, very funny. Thank you. This said, please, please, please have your IT respond to my emails about subscriptions. <laughs> well, we don't have to do that, uh, HD. But anyway, I just thought I'd put it out there. Thank you very much, Victor. You know, you say I heard you with Sammy on the on the podcast about, you know, the days of travel and giving speeches are over. But, you know, if this person is right, you may have to start a, another career as a stand-up comedian, and that would be a lot of road travel. So uh, just think about that. Uh, thank you, HD2012 Electra. Thanks, everyone who's written. Thank you to, to all who are listening. And we will be back soon with another episode of The Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thank you, everybody. 